Happy birthday, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Chapter 5. The Afraid to Try Cure. With a screech of his skateboard wheels, George O'Connor skidded to a halt in front of the Campbell's house, hopped off his board, and bounded up the front walk. Hi, Jonathan. What are you looking at? And what's the book about? He said, tucking his skateboard under his arm. It was a beautiful day, and all up and down the street, children were running and jumping and playing on lawns and in driveways, happily shouting and laughing to each other, except for Jonathan, who was crouching on the bottom step of his family's porch, peering down at the cement walk, one of his how-to books laying open on the ground beside him. Jonathan looked up. Oh, hi, George. It's just some old ants. The book is about safe tree climbing. Mrs. Pigglewiggle said I could practice on her tree. So I was reading the book to learn all about the right way to climb a tree. But then I saw these ants. Boy, they're always in such a hurry, he said, his face alight with curiosity. Just then, George's brother, Timmy, came speeding along on his skateboard. He rolled right over the trail of tiny ants, then skidded to a stop. Watch out, Timmy, Jonathan said. You squashed the ants. Ah, oh, they're just ants, Timmy scoffed. Hey, I'll go get my magnifying glass, and then these dumb ants will really hurry as I roast them. Don't. They aren't doing anything to you, Jonathan said. Oh, forget the stupid ants. And forget the tree climbing, Jonathan, George said. I've got an even better idea. Let's go over to Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house. She said she could she said we could climb a ramp in her driveway so we can practice jumps on our skateboards. Jumps? Jonathan said with a worried look on his face. I don't know about that. I've never done a jump before. I don't know how. Maybe I'll just watch you, you know, so I can learn the right way to do it. Ah, Jonathan, come on, George coaxed. You never want to try anything new. You always just want to watch. Skateboard jumps are fun, and they're not hard at all. I bet you can do one if you just try. That's okay, Jonathan said. He hunched up his shoulders and looked down at the ground in embarrassment. I don't mind watching for a while. I like to see how things are done first. Besides, I don't want to fall in front of everybody. George just shook his head. Jonathan's, Jonathan's mother stepped out onto the porch. Good morning, George. Good morning, Timmy. What are you boys up to today? Morning, Mrs. Campbell, the two O'Connor boys said in unison. We're going over to Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house. She said we could build a ramp off her porch so we could practice skateboard jumps. Only Jonathan's afraid to try. They both laughed. Mrs. Campbell looked at her son. Poor Jonathan looked more dejected than ever. She gave him a small sigh. Starting recently, it seemed like Jonathan never wanted to try anything new. He had always been a curious boy, but now it was starting to get out of hand. For hours on end, he would watch to see how things were done, what they were, and how they worked, without actually trying to do anything. But most of all, she knew he was afraid to try because people might laugh at him if he didn't do it well. On the other hand, Mrs. Campbell thought, maybe I should consider myself lucky that Jonathan doesn't want to try anything as reckless as skateboard jumps. 
Boy's caution is not a fault to be made fun of, she scolded. Jonathan isn't afraid. He just likes to see how things work before he tries anything new. Now, run along, you three. Have fun, but be back in time for lunch, and for goodness sake, be careful. The three boys skateboarded down the sidewalk to Mrs. Picklewiggle's house. George and Timmy raced to see who could get there fastest. Jonathan lagged behind. Back at the Campbell house, Jonathan's mother poured herself a cup of hot coffee. She sat down at the kitchen table and dialed her friend Carol Timbers. Hi, Carol. This is Rochelle. I'm calling to invite Ricky and Woody to lunch today. That's very sweet of you, Rochelle. I'll send the boys over as soon as they get home from the mountain climbing class. They're such adventurous little tykes. Why, just the other day, I was telling Bentley about how the boys were practicing rappelling down the, the side of the house. We're both just so proud of our little shavers. It's such a, a shame that poor Jonathan is so timid, of course. He is very kind and so smart. But how difficult to have a child who is afraid to try new things. Thank you for your kind words, Carol, and for the heads up about your little mountain climbers. I'll call you when it's time to pick up Ricky and Woody. As she hung up the phone, Mrs. Campbell said to herself, Well, I'm certainly going to watch those two little hawks repelling down the side of that old three-story house. How dangerous for them and for the house. After lunch and a game of who can spit a watermelon seed the farthest, the boys decided to play basketball. At least Ricky, Woody, and George and Timmy wanted to play. Jonathan hunched up his shoulders and looked down at his feet. I don't know, you guys. It's pretty hot, and I'm barefoot, and I don't know the rules. Ah, oh, come on, Jonathan. We're all barefoot. And your mom said we could play in the sprinklers to cool off later. And the rules are easy. You just try to throw the ball through the hoop. You can learn as you play, Woody said as he tossed the basketball at him. Catch, Jonathan. But instead of reaching out to catch the ball, Jonathan's hands remained frozen at his side. The basketball hit him in the stomach, and Jonathan sat down with a thump on the lawn as the ball rolled past him. He looked down at his feet, embarrassed. Nah, that's okay. I'll just sit here and watch you guys play. Maybe I can learn if I just watch you for a bit. A little while later, Mrs. Campbell walked out onto the porch with some lemonade and cookies for the boys. She was about to call out to them when she noticed that Jonathan wasn't playing with the others. He was sitting off to the side, watching an intent look on his face. She left the tray of snacks on the table quietly and went back inside. That night, when Jonathan's dad got home from work, he said, Hey, son, let's test out that new basketball hoop we hung last weekend. I don't know, Dad. That hoop's so high, and I'm too short. Besides, I think the ball may be kind of big for me to hold. Jonathan, your mother told me your friends were here and wanted you to play basketball. Why didn't you at least give it a try, son? I just can't, Dad. I get all nervous and my fingers get fumbly, and I was afraid that everyone would laugh at me if I didn't do it right. So I just watched. Sorry, Dad. 
Jonathan hung his head and hunched his shoulders as he sadly stared down at his feet. Jonathan, his dad said, not everyone has to be good at things before they try. In fact, the way to get good at something is by practicing it over and over. Come on, let's go practice. Jonathan thanked his father again, but shook his head. No thanks, Dad. I, I think I'll just go upstairs and read for a while. That evening, before bed, Jonathan and his mother read a chapter of the Jungle Book together. When they finished, Mrs. Campbell bent down to kiss Jonathan goodnight. Jonathan looked up at her. You know what I want to be when I grow up, Mom? A veterinarian. So I can help animals like that doctor that we saw on TV. What was his name? James Harriet, dear. If you like, I'll read some of his books to you. Sleep well, son. Your dad and I are very proud of you. When Jonathan's mother went downstairs, she said to Jonathan's father, Guess what Jonathan said? He wants to be when he grows up. Certainly not a pro basketball player, I'm sure of that, Jonathan's father said, or a professional skateboarder for that matter. No, Robert, Jonathan said that he wants to be a veterinarian. He has such a love for animals. I think we should consider getting him a dog of his own. The O'Connor's poor old dog, Susie, spends more time here when Jonathan than she does with the O'Connor's. Let's think about it, can we? The next morning, after breakfast, Jonathan's mother asked him if he was going to play baseball with his friends. Jonathan said, I don't think so. That bat is too heavy for me to swing, and I never can catch the ball without dropping it. Could we go to the pet store instead and get some treats for Susie and Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's pets? That's a lovely idea, Jonathan. Of course we can. When Jonathan and his mother came home from shopping, Susie was waiting on the front porch with George and Timmy. Hey, Jonathan, we won our baseball game today since you weren't there to drop the ball. Guess you'd rather play with our old dog than with us. George chuckled. Jonathan knelt down and gave Susie a hug, burying his face in her warm fur so that George and Timmy wouldn't see his hurt expression. Good girl. Wait till you see what I got for you today at the pet store. Susie wagged her tail and eagerly licked Jonathan's cheek. Jonathan giggled with delight. Inside, Jonathan's mother was putting away the groceries. Just as she placed the last can of creamed corn in the cupboard, the phone rang. She was surprised to hear Mrs. Pigglewiggle's voice on the other line. I'm sorry to bother you, Mrs. Campbell, but I was hoping that Jonathan would help me this afternoon. If he's all right with, if it's all right with you, of course. I can't give Lester a wag a bath without his help. He has such a gift with my animals. Of course, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. I'm sure Jonathan will be delighted to help you. In fact, he bought some special treats for Lester and Wag at the pet store today. I'll send him right over with them. Maybe your pet will cheer him up. He's been feeling rather left out lately. Some of the boys have been teasing and bullying him about his lack of trying when it comes to sports. Yes, I did notice that, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. He's been wanting to climb that tree of mine for ages. I know, but keeps reading books on the subject and watching the other children because he thinks it will make him more prepared. You know, Jonathan's desire to understand how things are done before he tries them is a sign of wisdom. But 
At the same time, sometimes the best way to learn how to do something is to just try it. Let me think about it for a bit. I'm sure my animals and I will be able to help. Thank you, Mrs. Picklewiggle, Mrs. Campbell said gratefully as she watched Jonathan brushing, Su brushing Susie. After lunch, Jonathan carefully packed the treats for Mrs. Picklewiggle's animals in his backpack. Susie fell fast asleep in the makeshift dog bed, really a pile of soft old towels. He had fixed for her by the back door. Jonathan smiled when he saw Susie's head resting on a squeaky dog toy. Her paw covered one of the special dog treats that he had brought for her, protecting it from theft. Have fun, dear. Be home from time for dinner, Mrs. Campbell said, giving her son a big hug. When Jonathan got to Mrs. Picklewiggle's house, he noticed with relief that the usual taunting, teasing, and whooping and hollering boys were not there, and that the skateboard jump had been moved from the porch steps. Lester, Mrs. Picklewiggle's pet pig, was sunning himself lazily on the top step. Wag came running to greet him, and Lightfoot, the cat, bounded not far behind. From her perch on the porch, Penelope, the carrot, the parrot called eagerly, Hello, hello! And Mrs. Pigglewiggle's pony, Spotty, whined happily as Mrs. Pigglewiggle herself led him around the side of the house. My goodness, Jonathan, what a greeting you always get from my animals. I'm so happy that you were able to help me today. There are so many times that I don't know what I would do without your expertise. Jonathan carefully put his backpack down on the porch steps. Wait till you see the treats I've brought for all of you today, he said to the animals. And we didn't forget you either, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Mom sent you a jar of her special raspberry strawberry blackberry jelly. She made it yesterday, Jonathan said proudly, handing her the jar of ruby red jelly. Wag, I brought you a bag of special dog biscuits. Here's a jar of cat treats for Lightfoot. Lester, some of your favorite apples. For you, Penelope, I got grapes. And Spotty, here's a big bunch of carrots just for you, Jonathan said as he emptied the treats from his backpack. Together, Jonathan and Mrs. Pigglewiggle distributed the treats. Jonathan gave Penelope six grapes from his large bunch. Lester carefully cut one of his apples up, politely offering a slice to Jonathan. Wag sat up to beg for a dog biscuit, wagging his tail so hard that he tipped over. Lightfoot purred loudly when Jonathan gave her a handful of the cat treats in her dish, and Spotty, waiting patiently by the porch steps, got two of the fresh, crunchy carrots. Mrs. Pigglewiggle and Jonathan put the remaining treats in the kitchen. Now, while they're enjoying their treats... Why don't you and I have a glass of lemonade to cool ourselves off before we tackle bathing wag and Lester, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. I've put all the towels, brushes, soap, and a big wash tub out under the tree in the backyard, and the hose reaches the wash tub perfectly so we can rinse wag and Lester with warm water. I'm sure Spotty will want a bath too, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. Jonathan laughed when they saw Spotty nodding his head. And I have t an old t-shirt in the house that you can wear. 
We don't want you to get your nice clothes soaking wet, do we? Mrs. Piggle Wiggle said. It's okay, Jonathan smiled. I brought a change of clothes in my backpack. Besides, I don't care if I get wet. I love getting your pets a bath. Mrs. Piggle Wiggle said, You are such a help. I can hold them still if I have to, but I have terrible trouble getting down on my hands and knees. You are so much more agile than I am, Jonathan, and Wagon Spotty never seem to move at all when you take care of them. You definitely have a gift when it comes to animals. Soon all the animals were bathed, brushed, and dried off. Jonathan even cleaned and polished Spotty's hooves. Then he helped Mrs. Piggle Wiggles put away the wash tub and coiled the hose for her. Mrs. Piggle Wiggle washed the towels, and Jonathan was just hanging them up to dry when George, Timmy, Ricky, Woody, Sheen, and Blake came skateboarding down the sidewalk, shouting and shoving each other playfully. They turned into the walk. Let's fix up the skateboard ramp, Woody said as he banged into the front step of Mrs. Piggle Wiggle's porch. Boys, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle said, I would rather you kept the jump on the side of the house. Sure thing, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, Blake said. Wow, Jonathan, you missed a super ball game. Here, catch, Ricky Timbers said as he threw Wag's tennis ball at Jonathan. Wag jumped up in the air, caught the ball in his mouth, and then went over to Jonathan, who was sitting on the bottom porch step, and dropped it at Jonathan's feet. I guess you want me to play with you, huh, Wag, Jonathan said. But I'm not good at throwing a ball. By now, the other boys were jumping, twisting, and crashing on their skateboards. They forgot all about teasing Jonathan as they double-dog dared each other into more jumps and spins. Jonathan stood and watched silently as Lightfoot rubbed up against his leg. Just then, Woody Timbers came roaring up to Jonathan on his skateboard, close to Lightfoot's tail. Lightfoot tensed in surprise then let out an awful yowl and raced around the house, climbing the big tree in the backyard like a double-greased lightning. She scampered up the trunk and cowered on a branch near the top, shivering. Oh, dear, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. I don't think I'll ever be able to coax her down. The boys had all stopped what they were doing and gathered around the trunk of the tree with Mrs. Pigglewiggle. I'm sorry, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, I didn't see her, Woody said, blinking back the tears that were welling up in his eyes. Jonathan came running down the porch steps, two at a time. Calling to Mrs. Pigglewiggle, he ran toward the group gathering around the tree. Don't worry, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. I called the fire department. They rescue animals all the time. They're bringing a big ladder, and I've been studying the tree for weeks to see... Which are the strongest branches to climb on, so I can tell them the best way up? When the fire truck pulled up, Jonathan ran out to meet it. You must be the young man in charge here, Jonathan Campbell. Am I right? the fireman said. He winked at the other firemen as the two of them carried the ladder into the yard. I'm so glad that Jonathan called you, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. Poor Lightfoot is afraid of the heights and I don't think she'll ever come down on her own. Someone will have to climb up to get her. The two firemen put the tall extension ladder up against the tree. One of the firemen held the ladder steady, while the other began slowly climbing up. 
However, before the fireman even got halfway up, Lightfoot mewed in fright and moved even farther out on the branch. The fireman slowly climbed back down the ladder to the ground. I'm sorry, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, he said. Lightfoot is just afraid of us. He won't let us get anywhere near her. And now she's far up in the tree, where the branches aren't as thick. I don't think they'll hold my weight. Oh, dear, said Mrs. Pigglewiggle in dismay. Jonathan stepped toward Mrs. Pigglewiggle and the firefighters. Lightfoot, trust me, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. I'll climb up and bring her down, he said, with a serious look on his face. When they heard that, the group of boys just stood with their mouths open. Mrs. Pigglewiggle said, It's true. If anyone can get Lightfoot down, it's Jonathan. He has a wonderful way with her and all the other pets. And he knows everything there is to know about tree climbing. The fireman holding the ladder smiled down at Jonathan and said, We climb as a team, son. My partner will follow you up the ladder. You're the man in charge here. We'll follow your lead. Jonathan, his backpack hanging from his shoulder, climbed carefully up the ladder with the fireman right behind him. The growing group of children didn't make a sound as they watched Jonathan hop onto a branch. With both hands firmly grasped, the branch nearest him, Jonathan scrambled up through the branches and eased his way towards Lightfoot as slowly and carefully as possible so he wouldn't startle her. Lightfoot mewed pitifully. Don't worry, Lightfoot, Jonathan said in a soft, gentle voice. I've come to rescue you. I'm going to put you right into my backpack and carry you back down to Mrs. Picklewiggle. You always like riding around in my backpack, don't you? You'll be safe, I promise. Just stay still while I'll pick you up. Jonathan carefully and very gently eased the terrified Lightfoot into his backpack and swiftly closed the flap. Most of the way, Jonathan had read somewhere that cats who are being transported in carriers feel safer in the dark. Lightfoot didn't mew or struggle. Jonathan followed the fireman down the ladder, murmuring softly and soothingly to Lightfoot the whole way. Finally, Jonathan's feet touched the ground, and the crowd of children let up a cheer. Jonathan held a finger to his lips to quiet the children, then gently took Lightfoot out of his backpack and handed her to a beaming Mrs. Picklewiggle. He never saw Lightfoot wink at Mrs. Picklewiggle, nor heard Mrs. Picklewiggle whisper, Thank you, to her cat while she rubbed its ears. Jonathan, that was a brave deed you just did now. I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am and how proud I am of you. No one will think you are afraid to try anything ever again, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said. Hooray for Jonathan, champion tree climber, George O'Connor shouted. Hooray for Jonathan, the other children echoed. Wow, Jonathan, Blake said. I've never seen anyone ever climb Mrs. Pigglewiggle's big old tree so fast. Could you maybe teach me how to do it? Sure, said Jonathan. It's real easy. Mainly I just watch other people climb to see which branches were strongest and which was the fattest path to the top. 
And how did you know you should put Lightfoot in your backpack? Woody asked. That was so cool. Well, I read about it in a book once, Jonathan answered, but I wasn't sure it would work until I tried it. At these words, George O'Connor started to laugh. The other children soon joined in. Jonathan looked confused for a moment, but when he realized that he had said, he grinned a little sheepishly and then started to laugh as well. As the other children once again began to pat his back and congratulate him on a job well done, the two firemen smiled at Jonathan and each shook his hand. The first fireman said, smiling down at Jonathan, We could use more brave boys like you. Cats are the hardest animals for us to rescue. The second fireman patted Jonathan on the back and said, Thank you for helping us today, Jonathan. How would you like a ride home on the fire engine? Are you serious? Jonathan exclaimed. That would be great. And wearing an honorary fireman's hat, Jonathan, the hero of the day, rode proudly between the two firemen with a tail of cheering skateboarders following him all the way home. Chapter 6 The Messy Stuff and Cram Cure Good morning, sleepyhead. Breakfast is... Mrs. McLeod's words choked off mid-sentence when she opened Katie's bedroom door. The neatly folded laundry she had placed on Katie's bed the night before now lay in a jumbled pile on the floor. Katie McLeod, I told you to put away those clothes last night. Mrs. McLeod threw up her hands in exasperation. Why do you have to be so messy? Katie mumbled an apology and got out of bed. Mrs. McLeod just shook her head, went downstairs. Katie began rummaging through the pile of clothes. She found some clean clothes she wanted to wear and put them on. She made sure it was clean, but turned out to be that the ones that she had worn on Saturday. When she helped Mrs. Pigglewiggle weed her flower bed, Katie tossed the dirty shirt back onto the floor and hunted around for a clean one. She opened a dresser drawer, pawed through it, and finally yanked out all the way, dumped the contents on the bed. Among the crumpled shirts and blouses, were a number of stray socks, some pajamas, several scraps of paper, a few crumbled candy wrappers, a bent soda straw, a stuffed teddy bear, and one eye missing. At the very bottom of the pile, she found a shirt that looked reasonably fresh. She dug clean socks out of the jumble of laundry on the floor, managing to shove half of the clothes under her bed in the process. She then poked around in her closet in search of her tennis shoes, eventually finding one in her wastebasket and one under her desk. Katie rushed into the bathroom where she had to fish her hairbrush out of the laundry hamper. This was made somewhere easier, of course, by the fact that all of her dirty clothes were scattered across her room rather than placed into the hamper. She brushed her hair, brushed her teeth, washed her face, tossing the damp cloth into the sink before skittering downstairs for breakfast. When Katie's mother walked into the bathroom, she almost tipped over the wet towels on the floor. The drawer was hanging open, and inside was a capless, 
tub of toothpaste squeezed in the middle, oozing onto a moldy apple core, half-eaten sandwich, and an assortment of colored pencils. A hairbrush full of Katie's curly hair was resting on the edge of the counter, along with orange peelings, wads of paper and old socks, a doll's wig, and an empty soda pop can. Katie's mother shook her head and sighed. The minute Katie gets home this afternoon, she has to clean up this mess. When Katie arrived at school, she hurried to her locker to find the notebook she was supposed to turn in yesterday. It must be in here somewhere, Katie said as she took off her backpack, tossing it at the foot of her locker so she could put her lunch and jacket away. The locker door seemed to be stuck shut. Katie tugged and pulled on the handle, but it wouldn't open. Then she put her foot and shoulder against the door and yanked really hard. She didn't notice the dangling sweater sleeve on the gym sock that were obviously jammed the locker door. After much tugging and banging and kicking, pulling the locker door finally flew open, knocking Katie onto the hall floor. Everything that she had hurriedly been stuffing and cramming inside the locker for weeks came tumbling out. Pins and pencils and crumpled paper and several old wadded-up lunch bags went rolling down the hall, followed by two half-eaten apples, a moldy orange, the missing notebook along with overdue library books, a baseball cap, and a tennis shoe now lay in a large heap at Katie's feet. She began kicking the big mess aside as she frantically searched for the notebook. Katie was sitting cross-legged on the top of her backpack when she looked up and saw her teacher, Mrs. Rosemont, glaring down at her. Katie, what in the world is all this racket? What an awful mess. Hurry and pick this up or you'll be late for class. I'm afraid you will have to remain after school today so you can organize your locker. I'll write your mother a note and tell her why I'm keeping you and also why I'm giving you a bad grade for the day. I'm sorry, Mrs. Romont. I'll hurry, Katie said as she pawed through the heap on the floor, finally finding the notebook she needed for class. When she picked up her backpack, she noticed that she didn't close it and her homework was sticking out. Katie shrugged, then scooped and shoved the big mess back into her locker. She punched her jacket into the wad so it would fit, jammed her lunch bag on top, slammed the locker door shut, and hurried down the hall to class with her backpack, shedding loose papers behind her the entire way. That afternoon, when Katie came trudging home from school, her mother was in the kitchen putting away groceries. "'My goodness, Katie, you're late today,' Mrs. McLeod said with a worried look on her face. "'I know, Mom, I'm sorry,' Katie hung her head as she handed Mrs. Rosemont's note to her mother. Katie's mother couldn't hide the disappointed look she felt as she read the note from Katie's teacher. "'Dear Mrs. McLeod, I had to keep Katie after school today to straighten up her locker. Katie is smart and extremely willing to please.' but so messy and disorganized that I'm afraid her grades will suffer because of it. Sincerely, Grace Rosemont. When Katie's mother put the note on the kitchen table, she almost fell when she stumbled over the backpack that Katie had tossed on the floor. Katie, 
I can't begin to tell you how disappointed I am. This endless messiness of yours is not just causing problems at home, but now at school. Go to your room and pick up that mess left this morning. And don't forget your homework. Now march, young lady, and take your backpack with you. I'll call you when dinner is ready. Katie hurried up to her room, dumping the contents of her backpack onto the unmade bed. Then Katie jerked hard on the top desk door. It wouldn't open. So she yanked on the next, and the next, one after that, until she reached the bottom drawer. They were all jammed shut. In desperation, Katie jumped and dumped the contents of her wastebasket on her bed, where she finally found a pin with no cap. She sat back down at the desk and began to do her homework, completely forgetting to pick up her room, which was now even messier than it was this morning. The next morning, after Katie had left for school, once again trailing loose papers from her backpack, her mother walked slowly upstairs to Katie's room. She stood in the doorway, feeling rather weak in the knees. The room was a disaster. There were clothes all over the floor, draped on the desk chair, hanging off the doorknob, tossed over the closet door, and peeking out from under the bed. Books lay in lopsided stacks on the floor, desktop, and windowsill. Everywhere except in the bookcase, heaps of clothes were on the unmade bed, a sock dangled over the desk lamp, and several clothes hanging on the curtain rods. Oh, dear, sighed Katie's mother. She looked at her daughter's desk. Some of the drawers were partly open, crammed so that they couldn't be properly closed. In the top middle drawer, Mrs. McLeod found the pinking shears that she had been looking for all week. The shears had been used to cut up bits of colored paper that had obviously been wiped off the desk into the drawer in a jumble of paper clips. Old rubber bands, broken crayons, chewing gum, wrappers, part of a half-eaten sandwich, some doll clothes, two empty raisin boxes, crampled wads of paper, a pair of sunglasses with one lens missing. Mrs. McLeod sat down at the edge of Katie's unmade bed. I guess I could spend all day cleaning up here like I did last week. But what earthly good would it do, she said to herself. Katie will just come home in a few hours and the mess will begin again. She gathered what laundry she could find, shut the closet door and closed the half-open drawers as best she could. Then she went downstairs to the kitchen. She made a fresh pot of tea, called her friend Pamela Peasley. Pamela, I'm at my wit's end. Katie is such a slob. I can't stand it. Mrs. Peasley laughed and said, Oh, what a shame. My Prunella and Quentin are the most organized children. Why, sometimes Maxfield and I have to beg them to stop cleaning their rooms. Just the other day, dear little Prunella li lined all my kitchen drawers, and Quentin cleaned the cupboards. Isn't that nice, said Mrs. McLeod rather crossly. She got off the phone as fast as she could. Suddenly she remembered how messy her sister Janet had been as a child. Janet was now the mother of three children and lived in a nice tidy house, 
Eagerly, she dialed Janet's number and poured out her problems. Janet laughed. Sounds like Katie takes after her Aunt Janet. Remember how crazy I used to drive you. You were always neat as a pin. I'll never forget the time you told Mom my bed had so much junk under it that it would topple sideways. Mrs. McLeod couldn't help but chuckle. But you aren't like that now, she said. What happened? I grew up, said Janet. I'm sure Katie will grow up out of her messiness eventually. I'm not sure I can wait that long. Then maybe you should call Mrs. Pigglewiggle, suggested Janet. She always seems to know how to break bad habits. Of course, said Mrs. McLeod. Why didn't I think of that myself? She hung up and called Mrs. Pigglewiggle right away. Why, Mrs. McLeod, how lovely to hear from you. I so enjoyed your visit with your little Katie, such a bright, energetic child. Yes, but I'm afraid she's rather untidy, said Mrs. McLeod. It would take a bulldozer to clean her room. Her dresser drawers are bursting at the seams. Oh, she's a stuffer and a crammer, is she? That's quite common among children her age, you know. And fortunately, the cure is very simple. I have some wonderful invisible paint that ought to do the trick. Invisible paint, did you say? asked Mrs. McLeod doubtfully. Yes, indeed, you paint your dresser with it. Her desk drawers, shelves, ledgers, window sills, and any other hidey holes in Katie's room and bathroom, where she stuffs and crams. The paint doesn't show because it's invisible. Dries instantly, and there is no odor whatsoever. I'm sure you'll see the results are rapid and quite dramatic. And, said Mrs. Picklewiggle, laughing, I must add a little noisy after the paint is applied. Now make sure to place just a dab on everything, even her bed and bedding, tops of drawers, doorknobs, and especially her drawers, cupboards, and other closets. I'll have Herbert Prentice bring the paint by this afternoon. I've invited Katie, Molly O'Toole, and Jenny Beaumont over for tea after school today and help make plans for my birthday party in two weeks. All the children in town are invited, and the girls are especially excited to start decorating. Oh, Mrs. Pigglewiggle, how lovely. Yes, I've heard the girls talking and making all sorts of plans. I hear it's going to be a costume party. Now, please, let me know if there's anything I can do to help. Thank you, Mrs. McLeod, but I think the children have the party plans well organized. I like to have them feel that the party is theirs. Also, not just a celebration for me. Now, before I forget, back to Katie's room. The girls will be here several hours, which should give you plenty of time to paint everything in Katie's room and bathroom. Ignore the racket in her room. It will subside quickly. But after you finish the paint dabbing, and have shut the door to Katie's room, I suggest a calming cup of tea, Mrs. Pigglewiggle laughed. After lunch, Katie's mother took the small can of invisible paint and the little brush up to Katie's room. She had just finished dabbing a tiny bit of paint on Katie's dresser and each drawer and had turned to begin on the desk when she heard what sounded like the drawers sliding open. She quickly turned and looked at the dresser. Each drawer had opened, and the contents were flying out. Landing on the floor, the top of the dresser was empty, 
with all Katie's mess swept off onto the floor. I'll have to hurry with all this paint dabbing, or I won't be able to get out of the room, Katie's mother said, laughing. By the time Mrs. McLeod had finished and had shut the door to Katie's room and bathroom, the noise was deafening. Mrs. Pigglewiggle was right. I do need a calming cup of tea. After that afternoon, when Katie came home from Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house, she was bursting with excitement about the plans for the party. After dinner, she hurried up to her room to start making decorations. When she opened the door to her room, she stared wide-eyed at the enormous mess. All the drawers had emptied themselves onto the floor. The closet door stood a gap, revealing empty hangers. The hodgepodge of clothes now lay in mountainous heaps in the center of the room. The desk drawers had regurgitated their mishmash of contents, and the desktop was swept clean. Everything that Katie had been cramming under her bed for weeks was cast out, joining the bedding on the floor. The bookshelves had purged themselves of Katie's muddled disorder. Not a single surface, drawer, or cupboard held any of Katie's endless stuffings and crammings. As she shoved and pushed her way into the room, of course not picking up anything, she stepped on a half-filled box of cereal and tripped over a pile of bedding, landing hard on the floor. She finally made her way to her desk to work on paper chain decorations for the party. Katie tried to sit down at her desk, but the desk chair dumped her onto the floor with a thud. She tried again, thud. After the third time, she gave up and just sat on the floor. She stirred through the mess, searching for some colored paper. Stumbling into the bathroom, Katie splashed water on her hands and face. She dried off with a used towel she found under her feet, then tossed it at the sink. Turning towards the door, the wet towel sailed through the air, swatting Katie on the back. Thwop! Shoving and pushing her way across the room towards her bed, Katie tried kicking one of the large piles of clothes aside, only to have the clothes push her aside. One of her shoes even kicked her back. Ouch! Mean old stuff! Katie picked up a pile of clothes and threw them at the closet door. The clothes came flying back and landed with a hard slap, shoving Katie backward and onto the floor. I'll fix you, Katie said. She gathered up another one of the enormous piles and crammed it into one of the empty dresser drawers. Whoosh! The clothes came flying out, landing at her feet. Katie began stuffing a pile of books, games, dolls, stuffed animals, more clothes, shoes, old crumpled bits of paper, gum wrappers, and an empty cereal box under her bed. Zing! It all shot right out the other side. She picked up a stack of books and more papers and tossed them angrily on a shelf in the bookcase. Plop! Back onto the floor. Next, Katie kicked one of the huge piles into her closet. She tried to force the door shut, but it swung wide and the pile came spilling right back out. This is not fun at all, Katie said crossly and sat down on her desk chair. The chair immediately tipped over off onto the floor. That's it. I'm going to bed, Katie said as she looked hopelessly at the huge mess. She grabbed her pillow off the floor, tossed it on the bed. Whap! 
The pillow soared into the air, hitting her in the face. Now what? I'm too tired for a pillow fight. Katie sighed. She began gathering up her bedding and her quilt and threw them onto the bed. Immediately, the bedding slid off onto the carpet. Over and over, at least a dozen times, Katie threw the heap of bedding at her bed, only to have it fall repeatedly onto the floor. Okay, I give up. You mean old bed. See if I care. I'll sleep on the floor. Katie made a nest out of the bedding, plopping it on top of a pile of belongings, and fell fast asleep on the floor. Katie's mother and father looked in to see how their daughter was coping. They smiled when they saw Katie asleep on the huge pile she had created. She had pulled the quilt up to her chin, her pillow resting on top of a pile of books. A teddy bear and a bedroom slipper peeked out from the rumpled tangle. All that night, Katie had terrible dreams that her room had suddenly come to life. She dreamed that her clothes and all her belongings were swirling and dipping as if they were dancing around the room. Each twirling mess seemed to be lit by an eerie assortment of changing colored lights. The sleeves and pant legs of her clothes took on ghost-like shapes that spookily seemed to be pointing at her as they, slap, as they flapped by. She dreamed she heard a chorus of voices whispering, Pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. In her dream, the drawers of her dresser and desk slid open and shut by themselves. The cupboard doors in her room and bathroom rattled angrily. The closet door began to creak open and groan loudly as it shut itself over and over again. All Katie's dolls and stuffed animals had lined up in a row on her desk and were glaring at her, whispering and pointing with their hands and paws. Pick up, pick up, pick up. Katie dreamt she saw her bedroom window open wide. She watched in terror as all her clothes and belongings shoved and pushed their way into a huge mess and flew out of the window. She watched sadly as everything vanished into the dark night sky. Katie woke up herself when she shouted in her sleep, No, no, wait, please wait, don't fly away. She sat up in her makeshift tangle of bedding, scrubbing at her eyes as she looked around her room. The sun came streaming in through the windows, and Katie saw to her relief that nothing in her room had changed since the night before. All of her things were still there. It had all been just a bad dream. As Katie stumbled her sleepy way into the bathroom, she heard her mother calling, Katie, breakfast. Now wide awake, Katie hurried and searched for her hairbrush in a pile of dirty clothes, dump, damp towels, and the collection of debris that had flung itself onto the bathroom floor. Aha, there you are. Katie grabbed her hairbrush as she kicked at the pile. Then she spied her toothbrush as she kicked aside another pile, stepping on the squashed and open tube of toothpaste oozing out in the next sink. After Katie finished brushing her hair and her teeth, she washed her face and hands, dried off with a towel from the messy pile on the floor. She picked everything up and tossed it into the bathtub. This time, Katie ducked her head as everything came flying back out at her. 
As she stood in the doorway of her bedroom, she put her hands on her hips and stared defiantly back at her room. Okay, room, you win. Right after breakfast, I'll pick up, pick up, pick up. I can't find a thing, and I'm tired of living in this big mess and sleeping on the floor. After breakfast, Katie went back to her room, armed with cleaning supplies and trash bags. Katie looked first at her bed. If I make you neat as a pin, maybe you'll behave yourself. Katie swept a path to her bed and took off all the crusty, messy bedding. She got clean sheets out of the linen closet, pulled all the trash and clothes out from under the bed, organized her desk, bookshelves, and all her drawers, carefully cleaned her closet, hung up her clothes in perfect order, lined up her shoes, and gathered all her dirty clothes and towels. By now, Katie had filled six large bags with trash and two with laundry. Then she dusted and polished, vacuumed, made her bed, and cleaned her bathroom until it sparkled. Finally, she dragged the trash bags out into the hall. Then she finished. She looked at the clock on her desk. It was almost noon. I still have plenty of time to spend at Mrs. Pigglewiggle's house this afternoon working on the party decorations, Kathy thought. I can hardly wait to tell her the dream I had and about my room last night. Mrs. Pigglewiggle loves to hear about all the kids' dreams. and She really, really listens, too. Katie went to the top of the stairs and yelled down to her mother and father. Mom, Dad, come see my room. No more mess stuffing and cramming ever, ever again.